Welcome to the Roar of the Lions UK podcast. This is the 2022 NFL Draft Day 2 Recap Show, looking ahead to Day 3 as well at the back end of this. My name is Matthew Turner, alongside co-host Ant, Steve and Tom, with special guest and writer for the show, Ash Soden as well. How's everyone doing, boys? Still going. Same. <laughs> Still going. <laughs> Bit tired. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that sums it up, and I think by tonight, I'm going to have a very, very long sleep before this show tomorrow, and then for that, the weekend's an absolute write-off at this point. But let's get straight to the draft, and um, what a crazy, crazy day it has been with, I mean, Ash might be able to tell us at some point today, but what seemed like a record number of trades for day two of an NFL draft, it seemed like every other pick was a trade, um, teams moving up and down, left, right and centre with so, so many players to choose from. And yet so many reaches. According to consensus big boards, there were consistent and big reaches all the way down. The Lions end up coming out of this one with Josh Pashau at 46 and Kirby Joseph at 97. And let's dig into those straight away. So Josh Pashau, defensive end out of Kentucky. What are you guys see from him? I'm going to go straight to Tom because... He identified Pashau as someone who had fringe first-round possibilities. So what do you see from him? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to, which this clearly isn't true, but I'm going to claim that the Lions were going to take him at 32 and therefore that would have come true had we not a trade-up. But, you know, we'll, we'll part that. I mean, he's a, he's a guy where there isn't loads of production, but he has all the tools and traits you would really want for a strong side defensive end. And especially as we start to move more to, to four-man four sets, as we talked about, He's an explosive guy. He's physical. I think he's 270-ish pounds. And if you look at someone like an Austin Bryant or someone like that, or one of the almost heavier set um, Detroit Lions ends, we don't have lots of those guys. And even Aiden Hutchinson with his 6'7 frame is only 260. So um, the main thing you're getting with him is a really, really solid run defender, which is good because, as we talked about, the Lions struggled in the run game last year and someone with clear pass rush upside. So, um, yeah, I understand that some players, will, um, some fans will think it's a reach. Uh, I think as we saw, there were quite a few kind of reaches in inverted commas uh, yesterday. So I- I'm, I'm happy about it. I'm sure we'll get into the discussion about a second investment um, at the edge position versus potentially other needs. But uh, I think he's an exciting player. I'm not expecting him to be someone who comes and lights up the league in his rookie year. But that's kind of where the lines are at right now. They're not looking for guys to come in completely pro-ready this year and become really kind of solid starters. They're looking for guys with with real upside and traits who hopefully year two and three, when we are back-to-back Super Bowl champions, are, are key contributors on that team. I mean, so what I'm hearing is kind of, and I hate saying this name because of how much I get slated for this person, but he Don't seems even say like it. a trade flowers. No. <laughs> Is that, is that lazy well take done. or is that sort of... That's lazy. You've just cursed him. Well done. <laughs> I hope you're happy. Okay, so edge player, slightly heavier, run defense speciality. 
Like, no, he, he he plays up and down the line. Trey Flowers played one position and played it badly. Pascal does a lot they, more than they, Flowers they, used to do. They're different. I think both are versatile in their own ways. I don't think Trey Flowers' versatility really came through with the Lions, but did so more with the Patriots. Um, but yeah, is it Pascal then? Have they have they confirmed that? Rather, I have no idea whether it's Pascal or Pascal or whatever, but. Um, I remember when we had this last time, and it was like owns Arike, Onwuz Arike, etc., etc. He's a guy who, he's a guy who, um, like I was talking about, completely escaped me. The uh, Houston, who's the Houston guy? Logan Hall. Uh, Logan Hall. Um, he was a guy I put for the Lions because of that kind of similar versatility. A guy who I thought was a strong side end in base uh, base formation and then can slide inside and also play over a tackle if we place with three man fronts. That's exactly what I see with Pascal. So Ash, what about you? What have you seen from him? I pretty much agree with Tom. So uh, the whole like versatile across the line. I remember seeing when we drafted him that he was one of the PFF's top run defenders, especially in the SEC, which is like the one of the hardest well is the hardest conference in college football going up against like Georgia with the Georgia back James Cook, which the Bills took, Alabama, and he's one of the best run defenders. So he can come in day one for us, probably come in first and second down, defend the run, and then maybe either slide inside to then bring on Charles Harris or Julian Aquarius, since we know that Julian can't run defend to save his life, unfortunately. So he's got that sort of versatility to us. Trey Fowers, yeah, was a, he's a good conference, but I see him as like, Trayvon Walker lights. Everyone was discussing Trayvon Walker sort of similar terms. Versatile across the line, can play both outside and inside. Good against the run, pass rush upside. Pascal's the same for me. Maybe a bit less athleticism, but more proven production in college since he's actually got the sacks and he's done it for longer than Walker has. Yeah, I love that comp. And you know a lot <laughs> about Pascal, don't you? I know a little bit. You know, we did uh, me and me and me and Ryan did all the breakdowns on the edges and all that. But yeah, I I don't know. I'm I'm still just conflicted with the placement of the pick at the minute. I still don't really know what to think about it. Double dip in there. But as for the player himself, you know, he's got the pedigree. He's got the leadership examples that you want. He has the scheme versatility that we want here. You can kick him inside a bit more if you want to. Although I wouldn't rather see him there. I would rather see him play off the edge. But. You know, it, um, he's, he's going to be right for us. You know, we like scheme-diverse players who can do a little bit of everything, and, and he's going to be able to fit that. So, like I say, he's, he's got the leadership qualities you want. He's got the diversity in his play you want. Yes, the production isn't really there at this moment in time, but as Tom said, you've got the attributes you can work with to mould him into the player you want him to be in. He's, to be fair, he's coming into a room now where he doesn't have to play a lot of snaps every week at the minute. You can just train really hard with him to get him to where you want to be. And there's no pressure to just stick him in the lineup and hope he starts producing right away. So as Tom says, it's probably going to be, you're probably going to see him flash more in year two, three, et cetera. But in the long term, it'll be a sign that'll pay off for them. Steve, any further thoughts? So kind of where I am is a bit where I was after the Levi pick last season. Um, So, Really pleased with the first day. And I think we were all coming in super hyped. Um, and then we spent like a bit of time and we were talking about, you know, it's got to be defence, got to be defence. But we were very much focusing on safety and linebacker. And we were picking at, effectively picking at uh, 14. 
And we'd identified like a whole group of talented linebackers and safeties that could be there for us at 14. So I think when we saw the way that the board started to fall and people were making reaches and the Bears had picked Kyler Gordon, at, you know, with a 39th and all that kind of stuff, all of a sudden that group just became, you know, not just like a dream, but like really available. I think out of all the players we identified, only Jalen Petrie was off the board by the time we came out to pick. So just situationally, it just seemed like a really um, kind of like bum note in terms of like where they were picking when you've got all those safeties and all those linebackers on the board. But like, I guess you've just got to kind of rewind yourself from that a bit like we all had to do with Levi last year is they've obviously studied this guy. They obviously see something in him where he can really contribute in terms of our defensive front end. They obviously absolutely want to win in the trenches. Uh, you know, I trust Aaron Glenn, you know, absolutely more than anyone else on the coaching staff. I would trust in Aaron Glenn. And this is obviously like his pick. Um, so I think we've just got to go with it. And in terms of the athleticism of the player, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy. Um, the guy seems like an absolute stud in terms of just his attitude and and also kind of like how he carries himself i, I i've just got a question i guess for the you the college guys when he were in, in terms of like situationally when he was playing against like the better teams was he still able to produce because often in college football a lot of the stats are a bit padded by playing against, against lesser teams so how was he in like the big games again this is why I was a bit meh, because he wasn't one that really jumped off the page to me for the stuff that he did there. I mean, he's, he's done fine. I think it's fine. I've But there's nothing that's made me sort of go, oh, wow, there's no sort of big career-defining game in there where you're like, oh, wow, this is incredible. But at the same time, you know, you have to appreciate the level that there is between Kentucky and, you know, the teams above them. You know, it's like guys like... Kingsley and Igbari, he plays for South Carolina and he, he struggled in some of the big games, but it's him there on his own and sort of similar with Pascal. I know, you know Kentucky love their linemen and love building them strong and they've got a lineage of creating good guys there. So, you know, I, I would be happy with that, but I, I, I don't think the college production, I don't, I don't think you can look too much into there for anything that's going to give you like big vibes about him. But I think, I think, but at the same time, I'm, I'm not using that as a thing against him. I think it's just a case of he will be trained. He will have a, you know, he will have a specific scheme with us, and it will put him in the best position to succeed. I think just very quickly, I think the the other thing that just just gives you a little bit of a nasty taste in your mouth is just then you see the Bears taking Brisker two picks later, and I was like, what have we, you know, we've done it again. Um, but you know, we will see. We'll, you know, I, this is one where I kind of need to be convinced. But I don't <laughs> sound like a Packers fan now. I don't absolutely hate it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this, it was a bit kind of off piece from where I thought we were going. I think that's fair. And, and just I've quickly pulled up his PFF um, draft guide page. His lowest graded games at 45.9 versus Northwestern, but then his second lowest graded game 
across his whole career, 65.2 against Vanderbilt and 66.6 against Tennessee. The really key things about that for me are one, they're pretty solid grades for the most part. And two, all three of those lowest graded games are 2017. So we're talking about a guy whose lowest graded stuff was when he was a young guy and he's stepped up since then. And even if you just look at his um, run defense snaps versus pass rush snaps in 2019, 210 run defense, 154 pass rush. 2021, 256 run defense, so about the same, 389 pass rush. So he's a guy that they've clearly got more comfortable with, but he's developed his pass rush repertoire. And Kentucky, that's not a defensive line filled with talent. So if you're in the SEC, you're not going to run at him. You're not going to go at him. You're going to just kind of flip the players and run against other guys. So I, the production doesn't worry me as much. And it's not that he wasn't productive anyway. He had 18 tackles for loss just last year alone. Um, and I, we, I guess, because all we have to go on is the media report. So consensus boards and mock draft machines and things like that. It's really hard for us to know it could be that loads of teams read on this guy, right? And it was like, we have to go get him. And with all these reaches, you never know if behind the scenes, Cole Strange is it? Well, Cole Strange, maybe not because we had the Rams uh, respond to that. But you never know with these guys whether you've got information that teams behind you are just going to take him. And I think when when we did that trade in the first round and we knew we weren't going to pick again against, until 97 unless we made a move, you you take the guy who you want most because you know that they, he's not going to be there in 97, I guess. Just a couple- they, they have a history of going after the Kentucky linemen, though. I think there's just something they like about, you know, what they create there in terms of the guys. So, I'm just saying that he's got better as he's gone along. They've schemed him better. They've, you know, he's, a, he's earned the trust away. I think it's going to be exactly the same with us, you know, whereas Aiden's going to pretty much probably start straight away. Pascal will earn the trust here, and eventually he, he will have a good role here. So, you know, I think it's going to be exactly the same there. But Kentucky create the guys tough. You know, if you're going to have a Dan Campbell school, which he would love to pick from all the time because of the way they create the players, then Kentucky would probably be one of the ones right at the top of his list. Just a few facts about Josh uh, Pascal, Pascal, whatever his name is. Um, So PFF credit him with a power five leading run stop rate of 12.4%. And I believe that that run stop rate is tackles credited with having stops the play dead. So like kind of, solo big man tackles he is the best power five run defender of them all um in terms of the athleticism uh 9.81 on the rascal for the 10 yard splits 1.57 seconds for the 10 yard split 30 on the bench despite the fact that he is undersized at six foot two 268 um and also elite explosion grades so 37 and a half inch vert and 10 foot three broad jumps so a guy that strength to power ratio is going to be um going to be really really good you know kind of leverage wise he's he's going to be really impressive just because he's got a huge amount of power despite the fact that he is a bit smaller than your traditional kind of edge rushes there um he's also the only three-time captain in in program history and he's also a cancer survivor he was diagnosed with melanoma i think they said um in 2017 uh which actually coincides with Tom talking about his worst grades in college. So, you know, potentially he was dealing with a cancer diagnosis while his play was worse, which doesn't surprise anyone, I would imagine. So um, really high hopes for this guy. Let's move on because we've taken up a little bit of the show with him and move on to the second pick of the day for the Lions, Kirby Joseph, the safety 
Um, let's go straight to Ash to begin with. Um, what what do you make of that pick and, and of him as a player? Oh, I I absolutely love him. So I think it's been well aware, at least on the Discord and in mocks and stuff, that I've been calling for him at ninety seven for a bit, especially since the pick yesterday with uh, the, uh, taking Hutchinson and then trading up for Jameson Williams, because he could turn out to be a very good safety for us. Because at Illinois, he was just a playmaker. He's only just recently switched to position, I believe. So he's still learning. And yet he's a, he was a ball hawk. He made loads of tackles. I remember reading about the game against Illinois. I think it was a, uh, one of the ones where they got blown out. He wasn't there for the first two drives. Touchdowns on both drives. They put him on in every snap then. And suddenly the bleeding stops a bit. So he has that kind of ability to come in and sort of change the momentum of the game at a position of need first, because before this pick, Will Harris was our safety free. He was probably going to be a starter in our scheme. So now we've got someone who could turn out to be a lot better than Will Harris and maybe even turn out to be a great running partner for Tracy Walker for the entirety of his contract and produce interceptions on the back end. I know that Eric loves him. I know that Riz loves him. And so I looked and I fell in love as well. And now I can make Pokemon memes as well because of obviously Kirby with... And that, so it is Ash Ketchum talking about Kirby. <laughs> hey, Steve, went with you last last time, so let's talk with you now about Kirby Joseph. You wanted a safety. Yeah, I mean, so I went to bed last night after the uh, um, the Pascal pick. Um, so I woke up this morning with a feeling of great trepidation. Um, and I'm like, okay, going to have a cup of tea and I'm going to turn on my laptop and I'm going to see what's happened. And all that was going through my mind is, I, I don't want us to do anything funky. I don't want to see a double dip, you know, at another edge rusher. I don't want to see, you know, we've, we've made a reach on a tight end. Defence, 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 and I want a safety. So when I opened up my laptop and I saw we pick Kirby Joseph, I was absolutely delighted. And I think maybe some of those misgivings from last night, I was like, okay, we're back on track. We're back on the programme. I know because I know that Anne and Ryan and, and Tom have, have all kind of like chatted up Kirby Joseph big time in terms of his um, ability. Um, I know he had that seat uh, half a season or maybe a full season at wide receiver. So we know he's got ball skills. Um, and yeah, I was just massively relieved to, that the kind of the program was back on track when I when I got up. How about the rest of you guys? What do you think about Kirby Joseph? Let's let's go to Ryan because he's just come on. In fact. Yeah, I'm not turning banks up because I ain't had my breakfast or started any cooking. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm quite tired, so I thought I'd pop in and show my face. What do you reckon on Kirby well, Joseph? I'm very happy. Yeah, I'm very happy. The FBS is only safe due to five interceptions and three forced fumbles last year. The kid's like uh, one of those Tuscan pigs for truffles for a football. Like say he gets in, he comes down in the box, he punches it out, he rips it out. He sometimes thinks too much about the ball, not enough about bringing the player down. So it can be dragged sometimes, but he can teach that. Like say, he's got all the fundamentals. Like say, he was one of the stalwarts on a, a poor Illinois side, relied very heavily on. But I think he'll fit really well. I said in that three safety package where you can put him and Tracy, cover two, give him a half a field, or you can rotate one, put Kirby deep, bring up. Uh, Tracy tell Deshaun Elliott who can park in the box as a strong safety so 
there's, you can very easily work these three on the field at the same time if you want to. So I think Aaron Glenn, he's going to have fun. He's going to really like this guy. What about the rest of you guys, Ant, Tom? Ant, thoughts on Kirby? Uh, uh, so, yeah, um, uh, length and ball skills. That's the, the key thing with, um, with him. Steve, don't smirk at that, but um, they're the... They're the two things with him which are really, really hyper impressive. Um, there's a couple plays which you see on tape. And he's only really got one year of production, I believe, in that he was really a special teamer for a few years. So mild concern there. But there's just a couple plays for a guy who hasn't had that many reps. You just see like a natural feel for the game. And with safeties in general, I like to lean with more kind of cerebral IQ guys rather than just pure raw athletes. And there was a... It was a pick against Purdue, I think it was, in the red zone, um, where it's just all feel. So his eyes are on the quarterback, and I believe he just drops basically into a central zone. But all feel, makes play on the ball, tips the ball to himself, makes the pick, flips the field. It's it's that kind of stuff. Now, I think he was at the top of the second tier of guys, and actually I think he was the last of the second tier guys to go. So I think Nick Croft just went before um, and there's a couple other guys who went ahead. JT Woods is more in this style of traditional kind of free safety. My only issue with Joseph is I actually, I'm not sure he's a perfect fit for the Lions. The reason being, I like him more as a traditional deep safety, maybe more cover three stuff. Um, and that's where Tracy Walker has really excelled, right? As our predominant kind of free safety, deep safety. So I think it gives them a lot of flexibility in terms of rolling both those guys because both will be great playing deep. Um, he's not a guy, when we were talking about a brisker, a Petrie or someone like that, who's going to come up and, and thump people in the box and take a lot of reps down by the line. I just don't really see that. Um, and it's not to say he can't. And whilst he's not a big guy, he's not a liability or anything like that when it comes to, to run defense, but I just don't think that's where he's best utilized. So again, he's probably a guy where you're going to get a load of special teams out of him first year. He played gunner as well. So lots of stuff like that you love to see. Um, I'm, I'm just interested to see what Aaron Glenn does with him, but fundamentally he's slightly raw playmaker who could be really, really exciting. Yeah, I think Tom summed it up very well there for me. I'm I'm sort of in the camp with him. The you know, with these players, when you only have one year of production, you have to be careful because obviously you need to see whether they can continue that going forward. Same as said for Jameson Williams, he's a one-year production guy as well. So you are taking a bit of a chance on these ones who haven't shown consistent production through college. But I mean, he's got all the attributes that you need. I mean, he reads the game very well reads the quarterback very well the processing is fine but sometimes the reactions are a little slow that will get better as he goes along so i don't really have any issues there with that but you know i'm not just ready to crown him this sort of all conquering ball hawking safety just yet on one year he's he's taken a long time to be able to establish himself there obviously he's done really really well this year and we're getting a guy who is he's on the up but there's a lot of development that needs to be done with him as well. I think before we see, you know, the real best out of him, it's, it's I don't think it's going to be a case if he's just going to come in and renovate the safety room right away. Like Pascal, he's going to take a little bit of time to finesse and get to where you want him to. But I mean, he's got no better coaches than Aaron Glenn and Aubrey Pleasant. They're both defensive backs themselves. They've both played the game. 
you know, he's got two of the best shooters possible. So I'm really just glad that we went safety in the end. I would have liked some guys higher. I'm not going to lie, but, you know, we've got one of the better development guys now who in the long term may pay off really well. So again, interested to see where we use him in the scheme here because he is, he's thought of as more of a developmental free safety. Tracy Walker plays there for us. That's where he's best at. So how are we going to utilize him? I don't know, but yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how he develops, but I'm not expecting much to start with. And again, we need to see whether this run of production, which is small of his, can continue. I mean, it's quite interesting to have a look down his college uh, production. So he's only a one-year guy, as Ant says. But played DB the first two years when he did see the field on defense, then flipped to wide receiver for his junior year in the COVID year, and then flipped back to DB in the most recent season. So, you know, he was seen as someone who potentially had good enough hands to play on the offensive side of the ball, which is maybe why he's regarded as a bit of a ball hawk. But the, the the weirdest stat about him is that this is a guy who's six foot one, but his wingspan is six foot eight. Like how that he's not going to look like a normal human being. His arms are going to be, his hands are going to be touching the floor as he's running around. Like, and it shows up as well as in just in terms of forcing incompletions, getting hands on the ball. It's not all like his, either pass defense or even picks to a degree. They're not things where he's just, it's an errant throw and it's into his chest and he's just kind of taking it and running. He's putting kind of, he's putting his arm in between the ball. He, he's making reaches on things and got things which other guys just can't do. So that gives him a bigger range in terms of from a breakup standpoint than a lot of other guys. It's what you see with someone like Iffy as well, who's obviously much taller, but has the length to really disrupt at the catch point. So, yeah. Um, the, the other thing is, obviously, we talked about Pascal and questions over value. I don't think really, I don't know from a consensus standpoint where he was at, but from a value standpoint and who was left on the board at the safety position, I don't think we can really ask for for much more to get him at 97. I, I thought he was going to go more like early third, to be honest. Wasn't um, Kirby Joseph a volleyball player? Isn't that where kind of like some of the athleticism comes from? I think I read somewhere in a draft profile. I have to take He's- your word for that. I love that. <laughs> oh, Spike. Um, let's move on to talk about the rest of the draft, maybe. Kind of split this into two segments in terms of around the NFL, and we'll start in division and then have a look to ahead to day three in the back end of the show. And if we start in division, uh, Chicago, they ended up on day two taking um, Kyler Gordon, Jaquan Brisker, Velas Jones. Uh, so Kyler Gordon at 39, Brisker at 48. Velas Jones at 71. What do we make of those picks, boys? Well, they've completely ignored their biggest needs, which is fun. I think, you know, the two big needs, you know, when you invest in Justin Fields, you invest in your young quarterback, you need to protect said young quarterback. You need to give him a fighting chance, and they've done absolutely nothing to protect him. No more linemen in. That is a poor line. They lost one of the only decent guys they got in James Daniels to the Steelers. There's no depth there. They're going to struggle. He's going to get hit a lot this year. And at, at this point now, all they're going to get is, is probably development guys at this stage. So it is a bit odd that they didn't do that then in the receiving group. You know, I really like Velas Jones. I know you don't. 
he's going to be their new Coradell Patterson type guy. Maybe not to the same level, but he has the re- he has the returning threat, which you've really got to watch out for because he is a hell of a returner. But as a receiver, he's good, but not great. And when they've only got Darnell Mooney leading that line, and then Bellis Jones now is the wide receiver too for me on that thing, then I'm not worried about that either especially against, you know, our guys who are there in the backfield now. Obviously, they're trying to rebuild that defense up from where they were, but, yeah, it just made more sense that you go and give weapons and protect your young quarterback and then look at your defense afterwards. So I think it's very questionable what they've done there. You know, they passed up on some good receivers first up to go on the the secondary guys, and they ended up having to pick mid-tier in the receivers instead. It's just, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. I think um, the the Brisker pick pissed me off, um, and you know they've already got a really good safety in Eddie Jackson. So the thought of you know Jackson and Brisker together is a pretty decent combination. I think. Um, I'm not sure about Kyler Gordon, you know, I, I didn't really have him in my top like six or seven corners, um, and yeah, the I think the Vellas Jones pick is is a, just a bit of a reach because you know. <laughs> As the, the Packers guy said so wonderfully yesterday, the wide receivers are all going, the wide receivers have gone. And, you know, the, the Bears have kind of been left with a guy that there's, uh, you know, a lot of downside to as well as up. So it, it's kind of classic Bears territory, really, isn't it? A bit of good and then undermined by some daft stuff. Jones, I really couldn't work out because my first experience, I didn't watch him last season. So until we got to the draft season, I guess. And at the senior bowl, I thought he looked crisp. He looked explosive, nice hands. And then you go back to tape and it just doesn't look like he really knows what he's doing at the position. And then you, you then couple that with the fact he, I don't know how old he is, but he's like, is he going to be 24 or 25 going into the season? I mean, it's just an odd combination of a guy with kind of legit track speed who's got decent enough ball skills and shows glimpses, especially in practice, of being like nuanced, polished, et cetera. And then you turn on the tape and it's just not there. So I can't get my head around him as to why that's the case. Um, and I think it's it's a concern, right? If you're, if you're the Bears and he's had six years at college and still looks raw, um, yeah, I just... I, to be honest, I like him as a player, and I don't even think it's that bad a reach. I, I just can't work him out. Maybe we'll move it on to Minnesota then, and I'll go to Ryan and Ash for, for these ones. Uh, pick so far overall, Lewis Seen at 32, Andrew Booth Jr. at 42, Ed Ingram at 59, and Brian Asamoa at 66. So... Uh, Mostly defense, um, linebacker, a corner, a safety, and a guard. Um, what, what are you making of that class so far? I like it. Like I said, Ed Ingram, I thought, was a reach. Like I said, uh, Parnham was still on the board. He's still a guy that could play guard. Like, say, uh, Lucas, Donovan West, he's played guard as well throughout his career. They were higher on people's boards than, uh, than Ed Ingram, who was a long-time star at LSU. So they have gone for someone that's experienced. I think he made a good like career 31 starts, which is fine. The, the strategy is more confusing than the players because they traded back with the rivals of division multiple times and then traded back up. So they've been a bit higgledy-piggledy, but 
they have addressed needs. Like say uh, they lost uh, was it Anthony Smith a few years ago. Uh, their safeties aren't getting any younger, so it was time to invest in it and get a bit of juice. Louis Seen is what really upset me because I would really, really have liked him. He's someone that I did not want to see on a rival team because he is a very versatile kind of guy. Uh, Andrew with Jr., like I say, they've, they've not had that solid, trustable, dependable outside corner since uh, Xavier Rhodes left. They've, they've recycled through corners in every draft. Let's say, unfortunately, they had the incident with Gladney, which now been cleared, so there's a path back to him. But they have gone and addressed needs. Asamoah could be a nice fit. He's also one of those guys that you move around. I believe he took quite a few snaps at slot corner as well when asked. Uh, Oklahoma, so he's a bit of an undersized linebacker, but he's speedy. He's able to shift side to side. He's able to come up and meet holes, but he isn't the run stuffer or the uh, the coverage guy that you have for. So he's, he's, he's raw, but there's something there to work with. So I think they've done pretty well to say they've uh, they've been jumping up and down, and they did help us. Like I say they they've give us opportunities to take guys, which I found a little odd. But the players they've taken fairly well. If it was the Lions draft. I'd be fairly happy with it. Like I said, I wouldn't really complain if we had that draft. Ash? Yeah, I completely agree, especially and especially on that last point, because obviously this is a class where it's going to get compared to ours, because obviously of our trade-up with the Vikings to then take Jameson Williams, there's going to be that comparison to the vision now, so it's going to be like, which got the better side, Jameson Williams or Lewis Seen, uh, Booth and Brian Asamoah? And I remember putting in the WhatsApp and I think the Discord when it first happened that actually it could be very close. I could be persuaded into either side. Obviously, I side with Jameson Williams because you have the home kind of thing. But it was a very good haul for them. Though I do agree the whole trade, they kept trading back, trading back because their new GM is supposed to be this big analytics guy. And obviously the analytics hated our trade up despite the massive analytics sides, uh, PFF, both their podcasts saying they loved it, which is a bit confusing. And then they obviously then trade up again to get a guard, which seems to go against the whole analytics thing, because obviously analytics hate trading up and they think that guard's a low-value position. So that sort of confused me a bit. But overall, I think it is a good haul for them and it does fill a quite, uh, quite a few needs. What about the rest of you guys? What are you feeling on the Vikings? This might um, this might be showing my age now, but it reminds me of an old Morecambe and Wise sketch, um, where he's playing the piano and he says, oh, "All the all the right notes, but not necessarily in the right order." And I think that kind of sums up um, this draft because, you know, in isolation, they're all really good picks. But I just think because of the way that they've they've drafted and traded around, I think they've done themselves out of value. I think they could have maybe squeezed in maybe even like an extra pick um, or maybe like upgraded Ingram to like a slightly better um, lineman. So I think it's just the way that, that they've kind of like managed the draft has let them down a bit. But in terms of the actual picks, I think it's like sneaky good. Yeah, I completely, completely agree. If you have a look at the, the, the trade, as it was said before, Jameson Williams and Josh Pascal, versus Andrew Booth, Brian Asamoah, Lewis Seen. It's got to be close. The one thing you can say is that the Vikings are spreading their risk by having three guys. If Jameson Williams has a reoccurrence of the ACL injury, 
like we're that that toasts the trade like the risk for us is higher than it is for them but the reward is potentially higher too because if if Jameson Williams goes off and has some sort of Justin Jefferson rookie season then we're laughing so you know I don't think that the the Vikings really have that sort of volatility on the table so there we go really um let's look at the last team in the division Green Bay I know that their fans are crying right now but as I read this out my heart sinks the longer I go into it. Quay Walker at 22, the linebacker. Devontae Wyatt, defensive tackle at 28. Christian Watson, wide receiver at 34. Sean Ryan, tackle at 92. If you told me that the Packers were going to come out with potentially the best linebacker, we talked about as the best linebacker in the draft, the best defensive tackle for a lot of people in the draft, the guy potentially with the highest upside and wide receiver one, an NFL potential at wide receiver, and then uh, a swing tackle. I'd tell you they had a good draft, and I feel like they have had a good draft sneakily. Their fans will be crying. They haven't addressed their biggest needs at their highest value positions. Kind of what Steve was saying about Minnesota, right notes, wrong order. But taking a step back, this feels sneaky good too. What about the rest of you guys? They're leaving the rest of the division behind, as much as I hate to say it, you know, I disagree with you there. I think they have hit the highest needs. I mean, I said one of the biggest needs beforehand was finding Kenny Clark a running mate on the interior of that defensive line. And now they're pairing Devontae Wyatt with him. That's going to be horrible to come up against there. Kenny Clark's the best nose tackling football by some distance. And now you're, pay you, you know, you're pairing him with a guy who was highly productive on one of the best Georgia defences, one of the best college defences of all time. And that interior mixed with Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith on the edge is just, that's a fearsome front line that they're going to be able to deploy it, you know. I mean, I know Key Walker's, we're, we're, what is he going to be there? But I mean, they've got Devontae Campbell in. They can afford to bed him in a little bit. You know, they've, they've, they've been so-so at linebacker for years now and it's not really really bothered them and like you say if he reaches his upside then all of a sudden you've got Key Walker and Devontae Campbell you're trying to get through if you're able to get through that defensive line which is even worse they've got a great receiver potentially I mean hopefully as, as far as I'm concerned now I just hope he drops all the balls like he did in college and, and he struggles like hell there like Amari Rogers did last year um, but again if it works they're you know they, they're able to make stars out of anybody as wide receivers you know, they had Alan Lazard, Valdez Scantling, even Equinemius a little bit there. You know, guys who on any other team would be a wide receiver five and they've got them playing like wide receiver ones. And then the same with the offensive line with um, the UCLA tackle. If he went to any other team, I wouldn't be bothered. I mean, you know, that UCLA line was really good this year. Zach Charbonnet ran all over the Pac-12 and he was a big reason why that happened. He's great in the run game, but... Green Bay creates stars out of everybody on their offensive line. I don't know how they do it, but anyone can come in. They were down to their third left tackle last year, and Aaron Neiman looked like David Bakhtiari. You know, Elton Jenkins is the best diverse offensive lineman in the entirety of the NFL again. It's crazy how they get these guys to work, and now they've got another run mauler in there with them. So, yeah, they're, they're leaving the rest of us behind despite the losses there. You know, they've just gotten even stronger. And I think the gulf is as big as it's been for a while. Yeah, you, you touch on it nicely there. They're probably the best drafting um, 
offensive line. Wait, how am I going to phrase this? I think you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, probably the best drafted team when it comes to offensive line. Um, and it, I think it just shows how fickle we all are as fans, especially when you do these things kind of in the moment. But if you kind of go alternate universe and they'd taken Devontae Wyatt at 28, Christian Watson at 20, um, sorry, Devontae Wyatt at 22, Watson at 28, and uh, Quay Walker at 34, and therefore your break at the end of day one is we got Devontae Wyatt and Christian Watson, fans would probably have been like, what a draft. I can't believe we've done this. Incredible. They've got the same players, right? And uh, Packers drafts over the last five or six years, not that they've even drafted badly, um, but I haven't been hugely concerned about them, I would say. Guys like Stokes at the end of one, it, it's not the kind of guy where I'm like, oh, I'm gutted we missed out on him. I'm gutted he's in our division or, or any of their guys. This is the first time you look at a list of players and you're like, yeah, I mean, I'd like all three of those on our team. So, um, yeah, c- concerning, I would say. But then again, their, their timeline is very different to ours. So. Yes. I was going to say, um, obviously, after day one, I follow a Packers fan on YouTube because sometimes he does have some good takes. And I watched his video saying how the Packers screwed up the draft again. And it was a clip of his live stream because he does what we do over the draft. And he actually made a kind of decent point to why he didn't like the Quay Walker pick. So because Green Bay kept neglecting linebacker for years and years. They actually changed their scheme. So they pretty much only run with one linebacker at a time. So their third safety had, I think, 50 more slaps than their linebacker too. So that I think that's why Packers fans started freaking out when they took Quay Walker when they did is because it's not as much of a need in their scheme than obviously wide receiver is, than a defensive lineman is, than even a third safety is. So the Packers fan even said, if it was Daxton Hill at then, he would have loved it because it was a top 10 player for his uh, on his board that was in a position of need that would actually play a lot of snaps for them. While Quay Walker, while being a good linebacker, he said that because of the positional value and how it's used in the scheme, that's a second to third round player for him. So that's why they freak, were freaking out over Quay Walker. It wasn't because they thought he was a bad player necessarily. He actually think I think the Packers fan said he thinks he's a solid linebacker that with coaching up could be very, very good. It's just that in their scheme, linebacker is probably the least valuable position going, especially with their signing Devon J. Campbell to such a big contract. And without knowing their scheme particularly well, I probably should. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's similar to how the Rams used to use it, right? In that they basically had one mic, but then they'd stand guys up on the line. Yeah. Um, and obviously, traditionally, that's what the Packers have done with more edge guys. I think Walker does have a little bit more versatility. He's not really a traditional mic. And he wasn't really used that way at um, Georgia either. So I wonder if, to your point, they see him more as someone they can stand up on the line uh, and disrupt against tight ends and offensive line rather than someone who's going to play six yards off and uh, and read off their, their guys up front. But we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, I, I find that an odd comment, though, because linebacker's been their Achilles heel for years. You know, he goes that they don't use them in scheme, but they've just never had any good ones there until Devondre Campbell came. They'd gone through a myriad of nobodies. And, you know, when they got blown out by the 49ers in the championship games, because they couldn't stop the run, they had no one at linebacker to help come up and stop the run. You know, it's been a huge problem for years. So I get, I, I don't get why he says it's a, you know, they don't use the linebackers very much. He you said know, he, it's because it, they've not got good linebackers. Yeah. 
it's, it's not a case of, you know, their third safety is probably better than their second linebacker. Probably by some distance. Probably. So that's probably, why yeah. Yeah, you can't forget that they once had a uh, consistent tackle leader, Blake Martinez, in their defense. So, so <laughs> but though to be fair, he does actually hate Blake Martinez. And when he left for the Giants, he had a small party on his YouTube channel. So <laughs> that's saying something. <laughs> um, a cautionary note, Ash, in terms of like following Packers fans on YouTube, it is quite likely to lead to get banned from using the computers at your local library <laughs> and possibly appear on a register somewhere. So just oh, be careful with that. Just you know, just yeah. just want to give you the heads up there. Fair we'll enough. Thank you for the heads up. We'll obviously break all of this down a lot more when it comes to our draft recap show, uh, kind of as a weekly normal show, which we'll probably do uh, not Monday, I don't think, but maybe next week. But maybe let's have a look uh, at the rest of the draft very quickly before looking ahead to tomorrow. And I wonder if you guys just maybe want to talk about the sort of picks that you absolutely love, um, reaches you don't understand, and if you just want to lump New England into all of that, then that's absolutely fine. Um, but, you know, some kind of hot take or sort of very high-level takeaways from, from what happened last night. Wish we had a fourth-round pick. Yeah. Well, that, that would be nice. <laughs> Um, the Giants don't know how to draft receivers. I, I'd, yeah. I'd say that's a pretty big pick away there. That was Kadarius Tony last year. Then they gave Kenny Galladay 18 million. And then they went one Dale Robinson in the 40s when there's lots of other great guys there. That is, that is confusing. I don't know who is their wide receivers coach there, who's advising them. I mean, don't get me wrong, one Dale Robinson could be all right, but there were so many more better players on the table at that point and that was just that was a weird thing because so many receivers went early a lot of teams started panicking and started trying to be clever and none more so than our ex-head coach who tried to be incredibly clever when they drafted Tyquan Thornton about 150 he, he is a rocket engineer you know about, about 150 spots too early for Tyquan Thornton that was it was that's what happens when players start going off the board and position groups that were suddenly stacked suddenly start getting really thin. Teams panic. Teams panic badly. And this was this was not a good draft for some teams with receivers, but the Giants especially. That that was very poor from them. Two two things for me. Um, one, I'm so happy I'm not a Cowboys fan. The reason being, uh, as someone who loves the draft, to see them continually take guys with character issues would just be so demoralizing like personally as a fan when you want to like see these picks root for these guys get excited by them i just it makes me happy i don't have to deal with that to be honest um the other thing is we talk about um the aggression of brad holmes and i think in general we've been pretty positive over that as a group um i think the baltimore ravens are a brilliant example because coming into the draft you always say the Ravens, how do they always end up with these guys? And they've just shown patience throughout this whole process. And the guys they've got, I mean, it's it's pretty wild. Kyle Hamilton at 14, Linda Baum at 25, David Ajabo at 45, Travis Jones at 76. And it's just like, we can say it again, how do they let this happen? But it's patience and it's just picking the best guys there. I know that Ajabo was kind of, we had split feelings with him across the board. I think from a fit excuse me, a fit standpoint, it couldn't be any better. 
Um, I think him at the Ravens, let's hope he gets healthy. Um, and who knows if he will or if he'll turn into something. But I'd say he's got as better chance as any team to reach his potential there. Um, and when you now so, have Travis Jones there as well on that line, and obviously Carl Hamilton, I mean, it's it's an embarrassment of riches, really. And, Little, you know, they're in a t- he's in a team where he doesn't have to contribute right away. He's maybe. got Calais Campbell, who's one of the best role models he could possibly get. He's still playing at 36, 36 37. Going to show him the longevity of the game, how not to get hurt, etc. And when he comes in, he's on a stacked, stacked team. That defensive line at Baltimore now is just straight up unfair. Some of the guys they've got on there, they've, they, they have drafted incredibly well. And I think by far and away, they, they've won the draft so far after the first two days. And it's not even close really anymore. So much as I hated Travis going there, he's, he's, he's going he's gonna to thrive. In a division where they're quite run heavy, there he's going to be an absolute asset for them when it comes to when it comes to playing playing against the run. So, yeah, I uh, I'm, I'm I'm happy there. But th- there were some really good fits that I enjoyed. Sky Moore's going to do really well in Kansas City. I think that's the exact perfect system for him there. Again, they can sort of bed him in a little bit, and he is going to be a hell of a receiver, I think, there for them going forward. So I, I, I love I love the fit there for him. Um so yeah. Good good luck to him. Just want to thank Fly Odd Condor for the follow on Twitch. Um little quiz question for you guys then. There are four teams so far whose entire draft class per the consensus board I built are all value picks. Can you name the teams that have drafted well by that metric? Ravens will be one. Ravens are one, which is why I went there. Four picks, all of them for value. See, I'd, I'd say Jets, although we disagreed with what they did yesterday, Brees Hall would still at a position where he would be value, as, as would Rooker, even though we're not high on him. And, and the first round picks were, were, were fantastic. Uh, they gained. I'm going to go. On. No, I'll just say they gained twenty places overall, but Wilson, Gardner, and Hall were all slight reaches by that metric. Oh well, the Panthers will be on there then because they've picked like two guys. I'm going to go with the Chiefs. Chiefs, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Uh, Chiefs had one reach, Brian Cook. 46 places, but the rest of them, you're correct. Um, What did you say, Ant? You said... Panthers. Panthers. Icky and Corral, yeah. They've had a tackle and a... The quarterback's not a reach, for sure. Yes, 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 you're right. Sorry, that's the fifth team, actually, that I missed. Yes, you're right. Dolphins, because they've only had one pick and it was Channing Tindall. Uh, Dolphins, yep, 24 places gained. Can't think of... Who the hell did the Rams pick? Uh, Rams, two... Logan Bruss. He, I think he oh, was. Oh, that's a reach. That's a reach. Yeah, I want to say Cardinals, maybe. Cardinals. And unless you factor in the Hollywood Brown trade, in which case they definitely reached on that. Cam Thomas was yeah. a nine-place reach. My Jay Sanders oh. a two-place reach. So very close. Oh God. But Philadelphia. Go. Sanders. Bloody hell. Uh, Philadelphia. Um, Cam Jurgens was a big reach according to that metric, but Nakobe Dean obviously fell a long way, and that was good for them. So 
there or thereabouts. Raiders only picked once, and Parham was a decent acquisition. Raiders are one of them. Ten places gained on him. Browns? No, the Browns took... The Browns reached big again. Who the hell was that? Yeah, Browns took off? Alex Wright and Martin Emerson, both 60 yeah. place yeah. reaches. Yeah, I'm see I was going off. Oh, come on, Bill. Martin, Martin Emerson was... Yeah. That was, that was a horrible pick. For the yeah. record, Alex Wright, in terms of hot take, that's... I was trying to think of a reach that I liked the most. I actually really like that pick. As a guy who's gone ahead of his uh, draft status, he's one of the few I'd bet on as, as performing to that status. Um, the 49ers managed the worst reach of them all. With yeah. Tyrion Davis Price. Yes. That, so that was horrendous. Look at the running back still on the board. He was he was like literally at the bottom of my running back list. That's not if you're including the really, really small school guys or the ones who are just down. He was he was right at the bottom. And Above then, Corbin. Uh, below Corbin. Yeah. Well, that says every, oh yeah. yeah. I was about to make a joke, but you're here, aren't you? So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, 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 I'm making a joke like, for I'm you. Joke. <laughs> I'm making um, a joke for you. Corbin yeah. is bad. Yeah, uh, that's uh, that was horrible. But mm. Uh, who am I to question their knowledge of running backs? Because they seem to make good running yeah. backs. They did it with Elijah Mitchell last year, but I don't get what they're seeing on this one. I really, really don't. CJ Craig says that the Giants had a great day one, in his opinion. You're absolutely right, they did. Yeah. Zubilo and Neil were both value picks, but day two, Azudu, Flott, and Robinson were massive reaches, so they're not on this list. Lions Rumble's Colts? in the house, and Zudu he must says. must have been 80 places or something like that. That was huge. Yeah, it was huge. Rumble says New Orleans. Alonte Taylor was a big reach, but Alave and Penning were, were about value. One more I team. I think Taylor was a reach. I said this on stream. I don't, I don't think Taylor's a reach at all. Uh, no, it's just by this metric, though. Colts, <laughs> Colts are... It's Jelani Woods. That was a reach. Jelani Woods Jelani. and Alec Pierce both reaches by this metric. Ryman and Cross were both value picks, though. One team well, in the AFC West to get. Dodgers. Who did the Raiders take? Uh, Raiders, Raiders already oh, mentioned by Ant. I was going to say Bro Broncos. Yeah, they, so it's the only yeah. other team not mentioned. So yeah, Dolce and Benito Benito Dolce, are both yeah. value picks. The, a, a team which I know they're not on this list because we've gone through basically every team, but a team I do just want to shout out because we've mocked them a lot. Atlanta Falcons. So, yeah. Drake London, we talked about lots. Just can't believe they did that, to be perfectly honest. However, I love their day two. Um, Ebikieti, um early in the second. Troy Anderson, like many will say, a reach. But actually, you're still getting him at the end of the second start or third. I think that's about his value. And holds a lot of special teams value in there as well. Uh, getting Desmond Ritter at 74, whatever you think of the quarterbacks, I think if you get any of the three guys that did go in the third, you can feel pretty good about that because you're not committed to them. And I think Ritter, especially with um, them having Mariota, is a really na natural fit. And D'Angelo Malone, a guy who, again, probably from a consensus standpoint, is a slight reach. I thought he was fantastic at the senior bowl. He didn't fit what the Lions did at all, so I just don't think he would have been in play for us. Um, but really like him in, in kind of middle of the third as well. I you know they did all right, but again, I'm, I'm, and it's a trope. But I'm looking at the offensive line that gets the quarterback sacked 50 times a year, and it, it's not been upgraded. No. They, they've not put anyone on there. They continue to neglect one of the most important positions there. It's just like they're thinking, well, we'll get away with it. 
but you won't. You know, whether it's Mariota this year, whether it's Ritter this year, no, they're going to get hit 50 times. And, you know, it, it's not good for the longevity of the player long term. And Matt Ryan isn't there anymore. He's a savvy vet who probably saved himself another few dozen hits from the way he plays. A rookie who's, you know, a little more unsure of himself than that is going to get hurt badly. And Mariota's not, you know, he's as mobile as a dump truck. You know, he's not going to go very far. So it is fair because these guys haven't panned out. But over the last three years, they have spent two first rounders on offensive line and two third rounders. Yeah. So they, they have in, at least invested in it. Um, I agree. I think it's more showing that if you don't take that guy at eight, which I think they should have done, I think you do too, you're not necessarily going to get a guy who you can just plug and play and, on day two because that's that's what they've struggled with. You saw Jalen Mayfield last year, but they probably don't want to give give up on yet, but was a train wreck. So um, you're not always going to get these starters. Yes, I think you could definitely make an argument that one of those four guys would be offensive line. But what the players in isolation they did pick, I really liked. Oh, yeah, in isolation, they were good. I just don't think they went after the big needs, but that might be the plan. Whether they've accepted they're not going to be great next year, they'll be drafting high, get better players, then you never know. But Let's just take... 10 minutes to just talk about day three so obviously we're kicking off in just you know six hours time now already see you soon tom um the lions are picking at 177 181 and 217 what do we want to see from the lions on day three i would i would like to see us take a develop developmental cornerback with some high athletic upsides of someone like Maybe Tariq Woolen. I don't he's think Tariq Woolen's going to be there. Yeah, he's, he's he's going early today. He's going early. Someone's going to bet on that the physical upside. Let's trade up like that. That that would be a good trade up, I think. I I'd package all three picks, get as high as I could. I'd, I'd maybe throw in a middle one next year, again to get high. And I'd 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 be happy picking just one more guy in this draft at this point. If he's going to be a better guy, you know, hell, double dip of safety, we can get a developmental linebacker or something. That would that would be my preferred option. If, if we're going to stick with the picks that we have, though, I mean, you are shooting darts at this point in time. So I know. Are, I said, are there I any linebackers on the board, Adam? You, you think, of, like, if you look at the best available linebackers, is there anyone that catches your eye from like the college pod over the last year? Um, not to come in and be sort of immediate starters as, as, as you were. Um, you know, a lot of the good linebackers have gone now and that some of the ones were left, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not uber keen on. It's, I mean... Mike Rose? I mean, if, if Damone Clark sat there and <laughs> like in the 200s, I'll, I'll, I'll take him as a red shirt because, again, I'm just throwing away a pick, but I ain't picking him till the 200s. I think maybe the one who I would go for um, would be, oh, God, who's the Oklahoma State guy now? Malcolm Rodriguez. He'd be one of the guys I'd be looking at at 177 if he's still there. He's a, he is a nasty, hard-hitting linebacker. Um someone who you could potentially mould to be really, really good in our system. So we, we need some heavy hitters. We need some hard tacklers. 
he'd be the one I'd be having a look at at that point. But, you know, again, I, I, said, I sort of said yesterday I'd go ballistic if we did any more offense in this draft. But when you're that late on, I think the value, one is to be had at running back. I'd, I'd still take a running back. Just you need to always refresh your room up a little bit. If Devontae Price is still there, I'd be all over him. But the amount of running backs that are still on the board at the minute, we, we could really get some serious value at this point in time. If, if the board keeps falling and these running backs don't start going. So I, I won't be beyond that. And then offensive line depth, we need still. So if we took a guard and a tackle, then you know, I, couldn't, I couldn't be mad. I wanted starters on defense. We're past that point now. So, yeah, R Rodriguez is a linebacker. Outside of that, I'll take my running backs and my old line depth now. The um, Ohio State um, tight end, that Charlie Kohler, do you think that could be a late pick? Iowa. Oh. Iowa. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm going to be honest. If I want to take a tight end, it wouldn't be Kola because obviously I did the little article about like mid round tight ends and I looked at Kola and he'd just be another receiving option. And that's not what we're looking for. We've got Hawkinson and Wright can do the receiving. We need someone to come in and be a blocker. So for me, if I was going to get a tight end in this class, it would be a blocker like James Mitchell, Jake Ferguson or Daniel Bellinger, those are the three I'd be looking at and going off like the board and what I've seen in mock drafts, at least one or two of them will be there at 177. Obviously, me saying this, I'm going to be at work later. I'll look at my phone and have pulled a cage of alcohol in to the back of, into the warehouse, look <laughs> at my phone and all three will be gone and I'll have a little cry because I have an absolute man crush on Jake Ferguson, especially since I when I watched his Michigan game and he shut down our number two overall pick uh, for a large part of the game. And then when Wisconsin needed him to get uh, get them out of the sight of their own end zone, he ran a terrific route and made a great catch down the sideline. So if he's there at 177, I will personally leave work, go to Vegas and run that card in myself. <laughs> I think I mean, one of yeah, the things... He's... Sorry. Sorry. I mean, yeah, he, he is right. I, I forgot about tight end two there, but... The tight end market has also been very slow and the ones that have been going are not necessarily the ones that should be going. I mean, I, I even think like the likes of Cade Orton's still on there as well. But yeah, Cade Orton's there, yeah. Cade Orton's still there, but like I said, James Mitchell's the best blocking tight end there. You know, you, And even if not, if, if you want to go on the high development upside physical guys, which we like to do in some cases, you've, you, you've got even more guys like Chagosi and McConkwu from Maryland. Yeah. You've, you've, you've got him there as well and he might slip below some of the others just because purely he's more of a developmental guy and less started ability right away. So, you know, if, if you came away from 177 and 181 with your, your blocking tight end two and a bit of running back depth, then you've rounded your offense out really nicely in fairness. Take 210, take a, take a swing tackle, take Ryan Vandermark. I'd actually like think the offense would be as close to complete as possible, really, at this point, apart from golf. So... I mean, so there's a couple of picks that I would be interested in seeing. I know that you and think that Eric Johnson is a UDFA, but her, hearing yeah. Riz bang the table for it so often, I'm kind of resigned to the fact that that will will be a pick if he's available. I want another safety. We talked yesterday about the fact that when we brought in uh, Kirby Joseph, well, there's a right way that we can get all three of our guys on the field at one time. Well, if we do, having a fourth one's going to have value then because. True. No one. Don't start was... this argument on the pod. 
<laughs> we know exactly what argument this is going to descend into when it comes to the safeties we want. Well, so just looking at the board in terms of where we're picking right now, the following guys are potentially available at 177. Della Antoniel, Marquis Bell, Veron McKinley, Nick Grant, Smoke Monday, um, Leon O'Neill, Bubba Bolden. All of those guys could come in and do a job as safety four. Like I'm missing a name. And you're deliberately missing a name. I, I don't know who you mean, man. <laughs> you're who missing you two mean? names. Yeah, you're missing two names. You didn't even say Sterling. Who? I don't know who that is. Um, <laughs> wow. Ryan just, Ryan right. just Ryan's going to come back. Who's the other name? I, I digress, but who's the other name that I missed? Sterling's there and Reed Blankenship is Reed Blankenship, there. Reed Blankenship, well, yes, of course. And if, anything, and if anything, he's he's now the perfect guy to come here because you can develop him without having him as a starter, which I think is what the issue probably is there. You don't start him right away, but special teams buzzard. You know, he will come in and play every single special team snap for you and give you plenty there while he develops as a safety. So, you know, he'd be the name at the top of my list now, even above guys. like He's got a lot more upside than some of these mid-round safety guys who are in there. Mm. I mean, Bubba Bolden, no, no, not for me. You know, me, me and Ryan sort of had him listed on our safety list at the start of the college football podcast season, but he just he just tanked off a cliff, and it's not really done much. I mean, and there's still plenty of other guys there. You've got Harvey Peel, the Oklahoma State safety as well. He's really good, and he's been talked about in UDFA territory, which is crazy. You will pick up some very good Undrafted free agent safeties without having to spend a pick on one, I reckon, this year. I think I think that's going to be the thing. We'll see. We will see a safety four come from the UDFA list, is my guess. Yeah, probably true. Right. Any final things you guys want to get off your chest before we wrap up here? I nope. feel vindicated about Chanel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not surprised. <laughs> I can't believe he fell as far as he did to one oh uh, one oh three to Kansas City. So yeah, it was he was last. He was this year's Baron Browning. I mean, you remember Baron Browning? Yeah, I remember him. Yeah, to the Browns. I think it was the Browns at like one hundred eight or something like that. That that was crazy. You know, the linebackers just it just dropped like stones. But that's terrific, terrific value to get Leo Leo Chanel there. But I, I feel sorry for Sam Howell. Sam Howell is not a day three quarterback pick. He really, really is not. And, you know, at this point last year, I think what Davis Mills had just gone, you know, I'm going to lay my hat on there. I said Davis Mills was the best quarterback outside of the top few who went last year. And I'm utterly justified because he's the only one who cemented himself as a starter and looks decent. I'll say the same about Sam Howell this year. Outside of Pickett, maybe, and Willis, I don't know. I think he could be better than the pair of them. I'll stick my hat out there and say Howell could be the best guy out of this class, and he's still sat there, and he should not be still sat there. All right, we'll wrap this up now. Thank you to everyone for watching. We're going to be live again at half past four UK time, which is half past 11 Eastern time in the States. Got quite a nice load of guests for you as well, starting off with a red... Red, White and Buffalo Blues at 4.45. Dog Pound East, that's Ivan repping the Cleveland Browns at 6.15, all UK time this. Um, Raiders Ryan's going to come on at 7.45. Ian from the UK Ravens at 8.45. And Robson from Jags across the pond 
at 9.45 and then we're going to wrap it all up with a recap show this time tomorrow. So you can catch us later on today or this time tomorrow for those. Um, but just remains for me to thank everyone for watching this show. If you have got up this early, then fair play to you guys. Uh, but for now, let's go Lions 1 Pride. One pride.